1: This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Perhaps we are in some serious trouble in the domestic terror situation, on homeland security front. Welcome to the program. I'm back from a mission to Israel and to Moscow, Russia. It's gone for two weeks. Defining a lifetime-defining visit for me. And I met with high-ranking military commanders and elected officials in Israel. And in the uh, country of Russia, the city of Moscow, I met with high-ranking government officials, including Vladimir Putin's personal assistant, his right-hand man, so to speak. I met with a deputy prime minister of Russia, as well as the Uh, Minister of Foreign Relations, uh, who would be the equivalent of the Secretary of State here in the United States, received briefings from those individuals. I learned a lot. And I, you know, while I was gone, the San Bernardino, California incident happened. I did some media uh, from Jerusalem back here uh, at home and talked about that situation. I want to expand on that a little more. If you notice in the last program that I did, I laid out a domestic intelligence strategy. I talked about why we, uh, we do not have one. We do not have an effective one that can produce actionable intelligence left of boom, meaning before the terrorist attack. And notice how much we're learning about these two individuals involved in this after the event. That's the Right of boom that I said the FBI is pretty good at. Gathering information, gathering evidence, learning more, it's too late. That's not intelligence work. That's criminal investigation or terror investigation. And until the Congress takes this up and realizes we do not have the infrastructure, we're going to see more of these than not. And as I indicated, And I I, I advise you to go back and listen to that program because that's going to be very apropos as we move forward, probably for the next, uh, who knows, easily through the 2016 election. It will be one of the major issues that we should be using to screen these applicants for commander in chief. Are they qualified? Are they willing to do what's necessary? And it's not to overreact. But we're learning so much about this this group that uh, uh, was involved in a San Bernardino terror attack post-event. It's too late. But that's what we have right now. We're right of boom. And we'll continue to be right of boom, picking up the pieces after the explosion. The White House still doesn't have its game together, if you will. They struggled for the first 48, 72 hours. Was it workplace violence? Was it a gun control issue? Anything but Islamic terror. And they tried to craft something. That's what took them so long. But they knew it wasn't going to work. So they came up with a half-truth. You know, I went through several airports, leaving this country and coming back in. And I was screened more for entry back into this country as an American citizen with a U.S. passport, with no indications that i would ever visited any hotbeds of terrorist training camps or terrorist activity, like Yemen, like Chechnya. You know, I have none of those stamps in my book. They make me take my hat off. I bet they don't make Muslim women take their hijab off. But I got to take my hat off. I got to take my coat off. And then there's a sign, welcome back to the United States. And I said, yeah, what a welcome that is. It's a punch in the face. So we sit up here now and we try to put the pieces together together of what happened in, in, in San Bernardino. I don't know what it's supposed to tell us in the future, other than the fact that we're doing it wrong. But that will not be the conclusion. We have the President of the United States take the primetime television from the Oval Office to make sure there's no overreaction to Islam and to Muslims. That sickened me. It sickened me because He didn't take to the airwaves in prime time from the Oval Office to defend the profession of American policing in the days following the Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore riots. He didn't say, we can't judge this profession by the actions of a few, like he did with Muslims. We can't make a sweeping indictment of Muslims and Islam over this incident in San Bernardino, California. Yes, we can, and yes, we should. And the reason I say that, it's not because all Muslims are suspect. It's not the entire religion, but we're trying to find a needle in a haystack. And until we do, we have to quarantine this. It's like we would do with any epidemic. You quarantine people who you suspect might have Ebola. That's what we did. Because it's smart to do to contain the spread. So Donald Trump was right. We need to put the brakes on this. That's what you do with an epidemic. You want to contain the spread. You have to do it through effective immigration, effective screening, not the crap they're putting in front of us right now and telling us, oh, there's nothing to be uh, uh, afraid of. We're, we're, We're doing a great job. No, they aren't then how did these two idiots get into the country? And until we start putting the pressure on this government, and it isn't just Obama, keep in mind, it's not just Obama. It's the Congress as well who can't get their act together. It's the courts as well who can't get their act together about the threat that we're facing here. And I'm tired of all of this post-boom activity, the memorials and the flowers and the lit candles and talking to the relatives and the neighbors and what kind of person were they? What would you know about this suspect? And you have know, that situation where there's a neighbor or two who might have known something, and they were afraid. I don't blame them. See something, say something, my rear end. See something, do something. You know what the model is in Israel for border control, border protection? By the way, they know how to protect the border. I saw it. I was there. If something penetrates that barrier, and it is a seamless barrier around the border of Syria and Lebanon, they have good relations with Jordan. They don't really need it. But if a sensor goes off that something breached that wall, and it, it, it's it's a wall. There's a lot of it is a chain link fence, fence with razor wire, but a lot of it is a cement wall, and it's a high wall. And they're expanding the wall to replace the fence. But if there's a breach of that fence, they investigate quickly. They don't investigate like we do. They don't send agents down to interview. And then you know what the next move is? Shoot it. So it's see it quickly, investigate, and shoot it. Because they're not going to take any chance. And you know what? There are very few breaches of that wall because of that. Because anybody trying to get over that wall knows. Armed soldiers will be dispatched not to arrest. They don't play that game. They reasonably assume it's a terrorist and they shoot and kill him.
1: The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at TheBlaze.com slash radio. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. David Clark, the People's Sheriff.
0: Folks, we're at war right now. A war against American culture, a war against American general, American society, American values our Constitution. And the war is being waged by this White House. President Barack Obama, who's supposed to be on the side of America, and instead by his actions, he seems to be on the enemy's side. I'm looking at this headline here from the Washington Examiner. It says, White House looks to curb anti-Muslim sentiment. Why? That's not his job. His job is to be on the side of the American people and let the Muslim world, let the Muslim leaders curb anti Muslim sentiment. As I indicated previously in this program, I didn't see the President of the United States convene people to look to curb anti police sentiment. He was pouring gas on it, he was leading the chorus, he was the maestro and trashing the American police officer and the institution of policing. I didn't see the White House look to curb anti-police sentiment. What's wrong with this guy? But I'm still waiting for the people on the right, conservatives and people on the right in general, I'm still waiting for that torches and pitchfork moment. Or some semblance that it's mobilizing. I'm not seeing it. We're under attack. We're under attack from Washington, D.C., from the White House. And we're just taking it. There's no fighting back. I'm not seeing it. You know, when I said that it's for the Muslim community to curb anti-Muslim sentiment, Whose job was it to curb anti-police sentiment? It was my job, and I did it. I picked up my torch and my pitchfork, and I went at them. And no one was spared, not the Attorney General, not the President of the United States, not Eric Holder. None of them were spared by me. I punched all of them in the nose. Because they were all in on it. This guy works overboard, Obama, to curb anti-Muslim sentiment. You know, by his actions, he appears to me to be a closet anti-Semite. And some of the things that he does in trashing Israel. He and John Kerry, they no love for Israel. You know, when I was over there, I met with high-ranking, Israeli elected officials and and military people. I met with the commander of the, of all the ground forces of the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. I met with commanders on the front lines. I talked to soldiers, Israeli soldiers. I talked to Israeli citizens about the situation and everything they said was, you know, just the pleasantries about the United States. We have great respect for the support of the United States, and the relationship has never been stronger, and I could tell that they were couching that. You know, you can tell, you can look at somebody and you can tell, and they they weren't being phony, they were being polite. Because that's what you do in that situation. Now, if Netanyahu and Obama are in a closed room and they want to go at each other, that's one thing. But when they come out of there and sit before the cameras, you know how they do that? They sit in a chair side by side and they're smiling into the cameras and the cameras are clicking away and they're saying, our relationship, you do that publicly. But Obama has no reservation whatsoever of trashing the state of Israel, trashing Netanyahu in public, criticizing him. You don't do that in foreign relations. I got an opportunity to sit down with the Russian minister of foreign relations. That's our secretary of state. He was frank. He gave us a briefing on his take on the Middle East and the situation with Syria. But he didn't trash anybody. And he shouldn't have. And there were only four of us there. But he knows he shouldn't do that. It's called professional protocol, but not this White House. They have no problem throwing Israel and Netanyahu and others under the bus. You know, when I talk to the people in Israel, I'm talking the elected officials and and the the decision makers, you know only they told me their biggest threat was? It's not ISIS. The biggest threat to the state of Israel is Iran. They made that clear. They weren't saying ISIS is no threat, but they said not to the state of Israel, not yet. Their biggest threat is Iran, and Iran getting a nuclear bomb. And this agreement with Iran is not in the best interest of Israel. So does that show support for Israel? And what they told me was Iran will have the bomb now sooner rather than later. They've been on the path toward it, but this will speed it up. And that's a concern of theirs, and it should be a concern of theirs. So when you you look at the situation, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, and I think it would be in the best interest of the state of Israel, Take out those nuclear facilities in the heck with the United States, because Obama doesn't have their back. That option has to be on the table for them. I'm not saying they should do it tomorrow. It has to be on the table. And for them, january twentieth of twenty seventeen cannot get here soon enough. I could sense it. So here I, I, I look at an, a piece from the Washington Examiner by Kelly Cohen. And it says, Kelly, I'm sorry, Kerry worried Israel will become one big fortress. Secretary of State John Kerry said he's worried that Israel may evolve into a country that becomes impossible to manage and that Israel's failure to negotiate a two-state solution with the Palestinian Authority would leave Israel a fortress under constant assault. Well, they're already that. Kerry has pressed for a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinian Authority for some time and using and used an interview with the New Yorker to prod Israel into accepting that answer the tech, Secretary of State using the New Yorker to prod Israel into accepting something instead of dealing with their foreign minister. but the New Yorker story also cites officials who say Kerry has exacerbated I'm sorry exasperated, with Israel and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for takes, taking steps to thwart that result. Among other things, Kerry is frustrated with issues raising from the injustice of settlement buildings in the West Bank to the way Netanyahu employs Yitzhak Molcho, his lawyer and confidant, to stifle even the most inconsequential negotiations. The story is filled with quotes from American officials who, destri- who describe Netanyahu, listen to this, American officials who describe Netanyahu as myopic, entitled, untrustworthy, routinely disrespectful toward the president, and focused solely on short-term political tactics to keep his right wings. you got to be kidding me that these people talked this openly to the New Yorker. Back to the story. This is not the first time members of the Obama administration have slammed the Israeli prime minister in the press. Last year, a senior Obama administration official called Netanyahu a chicken shit in an article in The Atlantic. Listen to this. This is total disrespect that they would do this with the media. Netanyahu has never done that with this administration.
1: You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. How much do you care about terror? Think about Guru Jay's bullseye. Concentric rings outward from the center. The bullseye is you, your family. How intensely you fear terror depends on how near the bullseye you are. People in Florida were appalled on 9-11, but not as scared as New York City. The bullseye. Now suddenly, we're all in the bullseye. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on The Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) Listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff.
0: I want to stay in the area of domestic homeland security in this segment. There was a bomb threat made to the Los Angeles School District this past weekend? and a decision was made to close all over 1,000 schools affecting about 725,000 students and their parents, I might add. Some of them were en route to school when this decision was made. Some of them were already at school, so parents had to return to the schools. It was a cluster you-know-what. So I want to take a look at this decision. Not to be critical of the decision itself, but how it was gone about. Here's what I do when I'm going to make a decision. Decision Decision-making 101. The first question you ask yourself, do I have time? Do I have time to make this decision? And if the answer is yes, that time is on your side, then there's no need for any shoot from the hip type decision. You gather your people. You have them brief you. Give me all the information. You go through a list of options. What are my options here in terms of the decision? Do I close the schools? Do I not close the schools, for example? I mean, I go through that. I, I run a jail. There are 1,000 inmates in my jail. Do you think if a bomb threat is called into my jail and it has happened, that I'm going to evacuate all 1,000 inmates? Do I have a plan for it? Yes. Would well, you think I'm going to do that every time there's a bomb threat? Can you imagine unloading 1,000 Prisoners, some of them very dangerous individuals, and having to move them. Like I said, we have a plan, but that's in the event that an actual, let's say, a fire breaks out and you have to do it. Or you do find a device inside the building. But short of that sort of information, you don't automatically evacuate. But that's what we do now because we have individuals in these situations and this is nothing more than CYA, cover your ass, overreact, just in case something goes wrong, you could say, well, you know, I did something. That's not leadership and that's not decision Every, making. Every time you make a decision, you are going to be criticized. You don't worry about that. You make the decision with the best information you have, and then you live with it. And if something goes wrong, you have to stand by that decision and just explain to people, not make excuses, how you came about making the decision that you did. And then you're responsible for it. If it goes to crap, you know what? You're responsible. If you don't like those tenets of leadership and decision-making, then abandon those positions. Don't take them or quit And when they're offered to you, if if someone offers uh, you to be the superintendent of the L.A. school district, New York school district, or LAPD, or any organization, don't take it. There's a lot of responsibility, a huge responsibility, as Donald Trump likes to say, huge. Don't take it. I accept the responsibility that goes along with my position. I embrace it. Have things always gone right? No. Do you know what? I'm still responsible and I explain. Here's why here's how I made that decision. So this LA school superintendent makes this decision to close the schools. Is that a bad decision? No. Is it a good decision? No. Because it's not a yes or no proposition. Here's the question. Was it reasonable? Under the circumstances. This is what so many people miss in these positions. When you have to make a decision I'm talking about. Was it reasonable under the circumstances? Would most people, and I don't mean like 51%, would, would, would most reasonable people go, yeah, it might not be what I would have done, but yeah, I see why he or she did that. And then you have to live with it. There's risk in every decision. But to overreact is not the right decision. Now, I don't have all the information that was available to the superintendent, but I know this was a knee-jerk reaction because that's what these people do. He inconvenienced nearly three-quarters of a million kids and their parents. Their parents had to, to come get them. Their parents had to make arrangements if their parents were at work. Their parents had to leave work. The companies that they work at were inconvenienced. you see the ripple effect of this? And that's why you have to be careful and you don't want to overreact. It's like we do with the TSA. We overreact. And every time I hear somebody say, well, you know, he had to do something or we have to do something, I always stop them and say, no, we need to or we have to do something reasonable. How do we come to that conclusion? Well, you gather information. And again, you have to figure out, you have to wonder if time's on your side. You have to figure it out, not wonder. Let me correct myself there. There's time on my side. And if it is, then use it. It's a resource in your decision-making. So this credible threat. And I'm so sick and tired of law enforcement and the FBI's categorizing these things of, well, it was a credible threat from a non-specific source, or it is a specific threat from a a non-credible. I'm tired of that crap. I don't know what it means. A bomb threat was made. Okay. It's that simple. And as we learned, it came in through an email. Now I'm hearing, you know, it may come through, it may have come through Germany. And so there's a lot of unknown, you know, you have to take time to make the decision of times on your side. Trying to find an explosive device in in the 1,000 school buildings in the L.A. school district, it's darn near impossible. Do you know how many rooms have to be searched, nooks and crannies? We have done school searches. My bomb unit. I have bomb sniffing dogs. We get called to schools frequently now on bomb threats. It takes time to search a school for a possible, you know, a potential hidden device. It is a very labor intensive situation. How and the superintendent called on the LAPD to conduct the search. He said of every school, he wants every school search to make sure it's safe. That's not reasonable. It may take them a month of Sundays to do that. Because you can't just walk through the hallways. You have to look in ceiling tiles. You have to look in, in storage closets with your bomb-sniffing dogs. They don't have, LAPD does not have a thousand bomb sniffing dogs. You cannot tie up the entire Los Angeles Police Department on this school search operation. Who's going to answer the calls for service? Do you see what I mean? You want to do something reasonable? You want to get more information? Let me ask you this. When's the last time a bomb threat was made and the bomb went off? Ask yourself when the last time, when was the last time that happened where someone called in a bomb threat, said a bomb's going to go off in an hour, and a bomb went off. More times than not, those are hoaxes. Is it a risk to assume that? Sure. Is it a reasonable risk? Sure. So you don't do nothing in that situation. You do some reasonable, you want to take some reasonable activities. But to totally do a, a knee-jerk reaction, like I believe this was, and that's not being hypercritical, for heaven's sakes. A quarter of a million students alone and their parents, and their parents' employers, are affected by this decision. It's one thing if it's a small school district or it's one school. You could close that one school. That's not unreasonable. I still think in in, in many circumstances that's an overreaction. Depending on the information that you have, because someone called anonymously and said, a bomb's going to go off in an hour at ABC Elementary School. Click. That's not a credible threat. First of all, it's anonymous. Not a credible threat. It's a threat, but it's not a credible threat. David Clark.
1: The People's Sheriff.
0: On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Mike Slater. But our gods in D.C., our golden calves in D.C., they have no answer to that. That's why no one ever says who purchased them. They just say they were legally purchased. Once you think a little more about this concept of theodicy, why does bad thing happen to good government? It makes sense why after every bad thing that happens, they turn to their all-powerful government for assurance and then attack anyone else that might get in its way. Mike Slater. Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on The Blaze Radio Network.
0: The Blaze Radio Network on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. You know, Osama bin Laden said one of his objectives in bringing down the United States was to do something to cause our government to overreact, burden the people, and have the people turn against the government in anger, maybe. You know what? He reached that objective. Everything that we do now, post 9-11, is an overreaction. I mentioned the TSA. We, we burden people to get on an airplane to the point of strip searches, to the point of naked body scanners, to the point that you can't bring a, a, a water bottle on through the checkpoint. You have to undress. You're late for your flight. The lines are long. The TSA people are incompetent. They're bureaucrats. They don't make sound decisions. We're delaying aircraft from taking off. When's the last time before a terror attack we got a warning? That's not part of the terrorist M.O. They like the element of surprise. They're not going to call in a bomb threat. Did they call in a bomb threat to the Russian airliner? It was recently brought down? No, they don't do that. They don't give advance warning. Did we get any advance warning other than some of the the, the activities that they were undergoing that we were, when I say we, the FBI and CIA ignored? Did they say that they were going to fly airplanes that morning, September 11th? into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon and and and, and targeting the, the U.S. Capitol that missed and landed in the field in Pennsylvania? Did they give us advance warning? Then why don't we use our heads? Because we're going to get more and more of these, and many of them are copycats. Many of them are, and you, 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 you'll never try to figure out which one is, is real and which one is not. That's the risk involved. But to overreact and just say, every time there's a bomb threat, we're going to close them all. Every time there's a bomb threat, we're going to close a school district. Every time there's a bomb threat, we're going to close a baseball park. Every time there's a bomb threat, we're going to, you know, shut down New York City. It's not reasonable. And yes, if, if a terror attack occurs, first of all, we never get warning. But if one occurs after you've gotten warning, if, if some goof calls up in the morning and says, um... Uh, you know, there's a bomb on flight, whatever, and and it does explode and and you didn't, you know, close the airport, well, you're going to have to live with the decision that you didn't do it. Like I said, there's risk in everything. What you want to do is you want to find a sweet spot in between overreacting one way or another, overreacting to close the school district or overreacting and saying, we're never going to close the school district. There's a sweet spot in there. We're never in search of the sweet spot. We're always, you know, we want to cover our rear end just in case. I mean, if this is done every day in the L.A. school district, are they going to shut the schools down every single day? Every time one of these happens, the entire school district? You're going to get copycats out of this now. Now what are they going to do? And that's why if you set out initially to find that sweet spot, What's reasonable risk and what is unreasonable risk, you know what? People won't get a rise out of it, and that stuff will probably start to tail off because they're not getting the reaction they thought they'd get out of you. Trust me, it's going to happen in the New York school district because of from some copycat. Hey, you did L.A., I can one-up that. I'll do New York, the largest school district in the United States. Some of have this back and forth going on between New York City officials and L.A. officials about this decision to close the schools where Chief Bratton is saying it was an overreaction. I kind of have to side with him. And I don't say that reluctantly. You know, you have Mayor Bill de Blasio. This comes from uh, an Associated Press article. It says, "Miss Mayor Bill de Blasio said Tuesday morning he is absolutely convinced there was no danger to schoolchildren in New York. You can never be absolutely convinced. It's called reasonable risk. Insurance companies do it every day. What's reasonable risk? We're going to insure you. We realize you may get drunk and crash and kill a, a, a group of school kids on a field trip, but you know what's the likelihood of you, this specific driver, doing that? It's low. He doesn't have any infraction. He hasn't exhibited. He doesn't have any DUIs. But it doesn't mean you couldn't do it, but it's risk, and it's reasonable risk. We need to take a cue from insurance actuaries on how to establish reasonable risk. What's good risk? What's bad risk? What's high risk? What's low risk? These decisions need to be made on a risk calculation. Not a, we take this seriously. Not on the the side of... of, uh, You know, we're going to do everything possible to ensure 100% safety or security. You'll never achieve that. Better safe than sorry. You can't do that all the time. Sometimes that makes sense. But there's still a model. There's still a calculation to come to that conclusion. And it isn't to just overreact knee-jerk style and close malls, close schools, Close downtown areas, close businesses, because we we think that, well, you know, I don't want to be blamed if I, I didn't take this seriously. This is why, you know, this whole, we don't, you know, our homeland security, we don't have homeland security. We have a theater. That's what we have. We have theater. We have going through the motions. We have activities. We have where we mistake activity for accomplishment, but it shows that we're doing something. And that's another thing that I just get sick and tired of. Well, we have to do something. We have to show that we're doing something. No, you don't. Just talk to people because I want to hear about this now. Somebody's head should roll if it turned out this was an overreaction. The school superintendent or somebody. Their heads should roll. That would stop this stuff. And we need a full explanation. A full explanation. None of this, well, it's classified and we can't talk about it. This is what's wrong with our homeland security. We don't have homeland security. Thanks for joining the program. You can follow me during the week at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E on Twitter. God bless you. Have a good week. Merry Christmas. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.